You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Knowing what's going on, again, one of the things that we want to resource you with is this next brochure. And it keeps you up on the different things that are going on, the small groups, the different activities. So hold this and keep this. Keep it close to you wherever you are, would you? Uh, second to your Bible. How about that? We'll do that. And, uh, and we want you just to really be informed and know what's going on. I think it's, uh, it's a great uh, brochure that informs us uh, every week. We're in this great series. It's a three-week series that we've been in so far. It's a great study from the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it's titled, Genuinely Living for Jesus, The Journey of Loving Others. Now, how many know this? When you genuinely live for Jesus, loving others is part of the mix. It's part of the package. You cannot live genuinely for Jesus and not love others. That's just not the way this works. God brings those things together. And so far in our series, we've talked about Paul and this amazing church having the right heart. If you remember, the first week was about having the right heart. Last week, we talked about having the right way of doing things, the right process, the right method. And today, what I want you to do is open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at chapter 3. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, because it's here we want to talk about what it is to have the right grit. Now, you might not hear that word a lot, but I'm going to use it today. It's just the right metal, the right grit, the right stuff. And that's really why Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, is because he wants to talk to them and commend them for their grit. Now, I think many of you know this. I really do. I appreciate talent and gifts. They're incredible I see those that operating in people's lives. But I want to tell you this. It's something that I look at and pay attention to. One of those things is, is grit. That you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have grit, you might not make it. you got to have that grit, that perseverance. And that's what Paul talks about. You know, I get it that we need to have talents and gifts, but during my years of ministry and life, uh, I, I have drawn the conclusion that I would rather have grit over talent. Uh, I, I, can, I can help with talent. I can teach and coach talent. But grit is something that comes from your heart. It's internal. It's something that works every day in our life. Because grit always finds a way. It really does. And in fact, the Bible supports this. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces grit. Okay? And grit, character, and character, hope. Goes on a little more. There we go. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. There we go. Grit is what this is talking about. This is what this passage of Scripture really means. Now, here's an observation made over years and years of experience. And there are more talented and gifted people, I know this, that maybe struggle with the, the direction that they're going in life. And they struggle with how to apply their talent, how to apply the the gifting that God has given them. Uh, There can be a sense of being unfulfilled. There can be a lack of joy. They're stalled out in life. But if they have a little grit that they can mix in to that talent and that gifting, they go a long way because, listen, gifting mixed with grit is the winning combination. It's a winning combination. 
I remember my sons were in track and field when they were young, and they were one of the fastest kids or some of the fastest kids out there, and they just kind of run by people. I knew that when they got into junior high and high school, they were going to meet some matches. They were going to face some people that were going to be stronger and faster than they were. And so I pulled them aside, and I said, guys, you've got a lot of talent in this area. I mean, you run fast, you jump high, a lot of natural ability, a lot of natural talent. But I'm going to tell you what's going to get you further. It's not your talent. It's not your natural ability. It's grit mixed with that. That's what's going to make a difference. It's discipline in your life. And boy, I'll tell you, isn't that true? We have a lot of folks out there with a lot of great ideas about how to do church, how to do business, how to run a community. And they're great ideas. But I'll tell you, there's only a few that I know of that really get in there and have grit to see it through. You know, this is the whole reason Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. It's found in chapter 3, and it's all about their grit. This is the central piece of this book that he writes. So don't misunderstand me here. I don't want any misunderstanding. I think gifting is a wonderful thing. But above one's gifting, Paul commends this church for their internal fortitude. He, He just writes them, and he says, you guys are just tough. You're just tough. You just... You just you persevere. You get through whatever the obstacles might be. And I want to I say this today. I think I need to hear this message. And maybe you need to hear this message. Because I, I know there are times that get hard. The first thing we want to do maybe is fold and run and go the other way. Uh, what Paul is going to tell us in just a moment is that when we stand with Jesus and when we persevere, there are good things that happen. There are Holy Spirit things that happen. That the gospel is allowed to take effect in people's lives uh, like, like no other time in history. I think it's right now. But I know it's time for us to shine. And for us to have that internal fortitude of Jesus Christ. I think we can all grow in our toughness. Now, I, uh, I consider my, myself to, to be pretty tough. Uh, but I married someone who's probably tougher than me. And I want you, I want you all to know that. Um, we went out the other day and uh, we were at a pastor's retreat. Um, and I've been kind of nursing a sore right shoulder. I, I, I tore a muscle or a tendon in my shoulder, and I was just kind of trying to work it out, you know. And, and Annette says, well, are we going to play golf? And I said, I don't know. My shoulder's a little sore. She goes, come on. You can do it. Come on. You know, and I said, oh, man, all right. So <laughs> I got out there, and I did it. Uh, <laughs> but, but sometimes you just need to just gut it out, don't you? Sometimes we just need to show up and gut it out. So here are a few reasons why this church in Thessalonica was full of grit and toughness. Let me give you three thoughts about why they were the way that they were. Number one, they they had a rough start. They really did. They had a rough start. The Apostle Paul wasn't there very long. This church started in about 49 AD, and shortly after, Paul is actually run out of town. Uh, You can read the account in Acts chapter 17. It gives you kind of a picture of what happened uh, but but what, what did happen is a lot of, of, of the religious Jews got mad and jealous at the Apostle Paul for his teaching and preaching and the conversions that were happening there. And so they basically start a riot and they run him out of town. Well, Paul and his entourage actually end up in Berea, which is not too far from Thessalonica where this happened. And those folks, those crazy people in Thessalonica, those mad people in Thessalonica followed Paul to Berea and they did the same thing there. They went after him in Berea. So what he does is he hightails it south to Athens and he holds up there for a, a little while. 
But he's so concerned about this young church. He's so concerned in his heart about, are they going to make it? Are are they going to persevere? And that really leads to something here. The second thing here, as far as their grit and why they had grit, is they had a replacement pastor. Uh, Not only did they have a rough start, but Paul sends young Timothy to lead the church. Uh, and, I, and I think there might have been, we don't know for sure, but you know, you're wanting to get Paul, the apostle, and you get Timothy. And you, Timothy isn't really proven yet. He's a young leader. You want, you want the big guns. I mean, you know, we, we want that. You know, we want the person that has the highlight name. We want, we want the marquee person. Well, they, get, they actually get Timothy. And so they're, they're, they're there. They see what they're going through. They, they want Paul, but they get Timothy. And, and Paul is, is deeply concerned. He's deeply concerned because Timothy's young and this church is young, and he felt that they would get overwhelmed. He he thought that just given a little time, a little persecution, that they would fold, that this church would fold. But something amazing happens. Paul sees their grit is stronger than their circumstances. He sees that their grit is stronger than their circumstances. Timothy lets Paul know that they are a gritty bunch of people. I mean, Timothy reports back to Paul, and he says, Paul, you'll never believe it. I mean, they ran into all kinds of obstacles. I mean, all kinds of obstacles in that city of Thessalonica, but they stood up. They had perseverance. They had internal fortitude. They made it. Here's Paul's response to Timothy's report uh, that this church is tough, and it's in this third chapter of 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 1. It says this, So when we could stand it no longer... We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ. Now, look at that word co-worker. I'm going to stop a few times and just point a few things out. That word co-worker, maybe in your translation, might, uh, might read co-minister. The literal translation of the word co-worker is a table waiter, someone who waits on tables. So when we think of someone who waits on tables, we recognize that that's hard work. That that's really difficult. I'm going to say this, man, if you go in and someone's waiting on your table, just tip them well, all right? Just give them a good tip. Because it, it is an incredible amount of work. It literally means someone who waits on tables. And that's why I appreciate the folks that help us with pancake breakfast. I mean, they're, they're out there. They're doing exactly what this scripture describes. They're just, they're waiting. They're waiting on people. They're serving people. And that's what we want to be. That's what reflects the love of Christ more than anything else. So Paul is saying this about Timothy. He's saying, man, he is a great table waiter. He's a great co-worker. And then he goes on and it says this. It says, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That's why Timothy was sent. The word strengthen is really interesting as well. It means to establish It means to root, be rooted. So the reason Timothy was sent was so that the people of Thessalonica, these young Christians, would be established and rooted. And that's what we want for young Christians, young believers today in our church. That that if you're looking to get established, if you're looking to get rooted, there are a few things you can do. We can send you in the right direction. I love it. I love the opportunities that people have to engage here and to grow. And you find that out again. I'm going to refer to this next pamphlet. You can find out how to do that. You can find out how to take the journey of growing in Jesus. But that's what it means. It means to be established in the Bible truths. To understand and know the fundamentals. 
This is what Paul is concerned with in this young church. He's saying, man, I got a young pastor there. I got a young church there. I really want them to be established in the things of God's word. It goes on in verse 3. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might be in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. I love this in verse 6. Paul hears from Timothy the best news that he could ever hear. During persecution, this church was not derailed. And can you imagine the greatest encouragement you can get as a father or mother in the faith is this right here? Is that those that you've led to Christ, those that you've discipled, those that you've spent time with, that they're strong and they're growing? I'll tell you what, that is the great affirmation and encouragement in my life. And I think that's what Paul was also saying when he ended chapter 2. And I referred to it last week. What is our hope? What is our joy? Aren't you our hope? Aren't you our joy? It's the investment that we make in others that brings that fulfillment of following Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is getting here. He's getting this amazing report uh, concerning their strength and their faith. He goes on a little further. It says in verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Verse 8 says that if you want to really live life, then stand firm in the Lord. If you really want to live the fullness of life, then stand firm in the Lord. Don't take detours. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, but stand firm in the Lord. And then he goes on and and he says this a little further. How can we thank God enough for you in in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now I love these last few verses. This is kind of like the crescendo. This is, a, this is the climax of this chapter right here. Paul is relieved now. He's heard the report, and, and this is what he says. He says, now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You know what he's doing there? It's like the crescendo. He's just singing it out loud. He's saying, look at what happened here. This report has come in, and I'm so excited that persecution did not dissuade you. So there are a few things here that, that you notice when you read this passage Uh, How did the church at Thessalonica thrive when hardships came their way? How did they thrive? I mean, that's good for us to know. And there are a few things here that we need to look at. Or you can put it this way, make it more relevant. How does the church at Canby thrive when hardships come their way? That makes it more personal, doesn't it? It takes the word and puts it right in your lap. And now you 
process what this all means and what God's word means for us. First is this. They sought strength in God's word. That's what it says in verse 2. We sent Timothy, who is our brother, our co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That's what he says here. He says, listen, you've got to grow in the word of God. Now, remember, they expected Paul, but they got Timothy. Remember that. Um, I don't know how many of you were hard on substitute teachers. There might be a few of you were. I mean, you'd show up to school one day, and you thought you were going to have one teacher, and you had another teacher, and that teacher's a substitute. Um, I wasn't the best. I repent. I confess right now. Um, you know, it was like my dad, would, my dad was a school teacher, and he knew who was subbing and who was, who was not subbing. He knew, he knew the way that system worked, so he would always let the substitute teacher know way ahead of time that I was in their class. I mean, he just tipped it. He said, you just need to know he sits about three rows back, you know, and he's there. Don't let him get away with anything because he will. He'll try to take advantage of the substitute teacher. Yeah, in high school, I used to raise my hand when a substitute teacher was there, and i say, hey, um, I've got to go out to the ball field because the coach wants me to come and take some more infield. And the substitute teacher say, hey, go ahead. Hey, you know what? That's a sham, isn't it? I didn't. But, but that's, how you could, that's how I would do this. But here, these are people who don't take advantage of a substitute teacher. They're saying, man, we're in this. This church was so eager to receive God's truth that they were all in people. Even with a substitute, even with a young leader, they were all in people. I love that about so many of you, you're kind of all in people. Um, Annette is a front row sitter. She's a, she sits in the front row. Even if she wasn't the pastor's wife, she would be sitting in the front row. Uh, I would be sitting in the back row. has no reflection on my love for Jesus. And for those that are in the back row, I love you, I'd be with you. You're the people I sit with, okay? And one of the reasons I do is I can kind of keep my eyes open what's going on. But Annette wants to always sit in the front row. Wherever we go, she wants to sit in the front row. In fact, I told you we were at a conference this week, and we walked in the back of the building, which I thought was the back of the building, opened the doors. There was a table right there, and she says, hey, why don't we sit here? And I thought, something's wrong, because that's, that's not the front row. Uh, the, the head of the, plat, the platform was way out in front of us, and she wanted to sit there, and I thought, oh my goodness, sure, I'll sit here. I sat down about five minutes later. I noticed and I looked over that the platform was actually to our right and we were in the front row. We were smack dab in the front row and I thought, oh, she got me again. She got me again. You see, the church of Thessalonica said, you send me Paul, you send me Timothy, it doesn't matter, let's do it. It doesn't matter. They weren't caught up in the personalities of their day. What they wanted to do was see the gospel spread whether we are front row people like Annette or back row people like me, uh, I think in our hearts with Jesus, we need to be front row all in folks. That we're in this no matter what. And not one of those people who makes it hard for the substitute. But we're saying, Lord, we want to be in this. We want to follow you. Here are a few things to, to think about. Uh, has God already sent you someone to encourage you in your journey? Has God already sent you a mentor? Has God sent you someone to encourage you, just like Timothy was sent to this church in Thessalonica? I think it's important that we take inventory, that we pay attention, that someone is teaching me God's word, and they're, they're there, and they're, 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 they're helping, and, and they're encouraging me, and, and building strength and encouragement in my life. Their faith here in Thessalonica was unshakable. 
They had this unshakable faith during persecution. I want you to think and look around and see who might be encouraging you. Who might be bringing the word to you and building you up. The second thought here that I want to bring out that I want to mention, it's interesting. It's a thought that builds on the first thought and has everything to do with the type of test taker you are. The kind of test taker you are. Now, how many like multiple choice? Do you, how many like essay? Oh, I'm, I'm not, I don't like multiple choice. I'm an essay kind of guy. And, and there's a reason why I like essays, because if I don't know the answer, at least I, I have a shot at faking it. I mean, at least there's some hope. If I, you know, if I can just, if I have a little idea, I can just maybe expound on it. You know, multiple choice, wow, that'll get me sometimes. Uh, because oftentimes when they give you multiple choice, they make the answers, all the answers sound the same. You know, I was sitting in a theology class and we were studying the Old Testament and this professor was really hard and I thought, well, I, I'll, be, I'll be okay with this. I, I know what I'm doing and if there's some essays, I'll, I'll probably do pretty good. Well, I went in and sat down and the test came and it was all multiple choice. And one of the questions was, who was one of the kings during Daniel's time in Babylon? Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, Belishazzar, or Belishazzar? Oh, no! I mean, that, that, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. That's tr- you're tricking us. And I actually went up to him after the test, and I said, listen, you can't do that. He goes, you've got to know your stuff. It's Belshazzar is what it is. But that's why I don't do good with multiple choice. You see, your strength, your grit has to do with your preparation. When you're prepared, you're strong. When you're prepared, you can get through things. You, you know that, that adversity is coming. And remember what Paul said. He said, we told you that persecution was going to come. We told you that adversity is going to come. And, and I think this is important for us to hear today. In fact, um, Annette and I were praying a, a week or two ago. And she said, you know, the Lord's really given me a word for us and for our church. And the word is prepare. Be prepared. Don't, don't let the signs of the times, the activity of the time, catch you off guard. That you would be prepared internally. That you would be built up and strengthened in God's word. That you would find people that would help encourage you in God's word. That we would be prepared. Listen, when you're prepared, things really don't surprise you. You know, when I was uh, playing baseball in high school, I was not really the best athlete on the planet. But after every practice, I would get one of the coaches to hit me like, oh, 150 to 200 ground balls. Just stand out there and hit me to the right, hit it to the left, hit them everywhere. And you know what happened? It was amazing because when the game time came, I recognized all of it. Nothing was a surprise to me. Nothing, nothing caught me off guard. And I'll tell you, when you go through God's word and study God's word and you repeat God's word every single day, when things come at you, you're not going to be surprised. Might be difficult, but you're not going to be surprised. You're going to say, man, I was prepared. I wasn't caught off guard. Let's be a church like Thessalonica that isn't caught off guard. You see, the church of Thessalonica prepared for adversity. That's what it says in verse 4. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Prepared people live life like grit is a given You know, they just know that this is the way life is, that you have to have a resolve, that you have to have some perseverance. You have to to just gut it up and make it. 
Um, I think some of you know, and I talked to, we talked to, the, to you about this before, but Annette takes this hike. Um, she took a hike last year up to a place called Asgard Pass right here, and, and, uh, and it takes a lot. You go in about 4 in the morning, you get out about 8 at night. It's about a 26-mile hike. A lot of it's up almost vertical. And so she was talking to me this week. She says, I'm thinking about doing this again. Now, you know, when you do something the first time, you're so ignorant, you don't even know what you're going to be facing. When you do something the second time, you know exactly what you're facing. And, and so what Annette's chosen to do is to go after this again uh, this, this year. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. To do that is taking a lot of, it takes a lot of grit. But there's a preparation that comes. There's a lot of training that comes. There's a lot of other hiking and, and, and uh, workout that comes with it. And that's really what it means in the word of the Lord, that we be, ex- we, we be people who exercise, that we train. Listen, th- there is freedom when we embrace the fact that we will face adversity, when we know it's coming, not trying to run from it, not trying to hide. You know, I think that's happened to some folks. I think that many of you have gone through a season of sickness and maybe still are. You've gone through difficult times. You're going through some hard times. I think for us to understand that the Bible gives us a heads up and says this is going to happen in life, don't be surprised by it. Again, it doesn't mean that we're not going to feel pain or have disappointment. It means that in God's word, we can handle this. We have the grit to go through this. Maybe painful, but it's not a surprise. God is with us. I think that's the promise that is given us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Another key thought is this. Prepared people understand that adversity is no accident, but it's an appointment. That adversity in your life is no accident, but it's an appointment. Uh, Adversity is an opportunity and the best former of character. You see, one of the greatest teachers that we have is adversity. It forms our character. Adversity is that best teacher. So do you embrace adversity or do you run from adversity? If you recently prayed, God, build my character, if you've prayed that recently, don't be surprised if adversity comes your way, okay? I I, I know when I'm thinking that in my life and I'm praying that in my life... I'm, I'm a lot more cautious. I don't hold back, but I'm thinking, Lord, I'm going to pray that you build character. And I know when I pray that, there's adversity that's going to come my way. Because that's one of the teachers that you send us. That's one of the ways that you, you, you cause us to grow is through adversity. Adversity is God's school of improvement for you. Uh, these are opportunities for you to step up and be a problem solver. And if you're not afraid of whatever comes your way, you're ready for a promotion. That God will keep growing you. And he'll keep trusting you with more. And by the way, this story happens over and over and over and over again in the Bible. If you study the, the men and women of Scripture, it happens with Abraham. It happened with Moses. It happened with King David. It happened with the apostles. And it happens with you and me. I think the thing that I would like to ask you is, what is your dream? What is God giving you? What, what is the passion that you have? What are you dreaming about right now? Because whatever it is that God has given you, he's entrusted a dream, a vision in your heart. And you need to know that's going to be tested. You need to know that's not going to come easy. That it's going to take prayer. It's going to take God's word. It's going to take grit to see that done and to see it through. It really will. So here's the last point. I want to close with this. 
the church of Thessalonica made relationships a priority. That was a priority with this particular church. In verse 6 it says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Do you get the nature of this relationship? That they care for each other, that they love each other, that they're concerned with each other? So here's a question that I think we need to answer. Are we in strong relationships? Do we have relationships? Because when the storm hits, you'll need people to rally to your side. When the storm comes, you need people around you. We can stand firm when someone is on our left and someone is on our right. I, 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 I haven't practiced this all my life. I wished I would have or had practiced this all my life. But, but I know in the last several years when adversity comes my way, when I'm dealing with something that I feel like, man, my knees are buckling, you know? It just takes the breath out. You know, those kinds of things that just kind of land in your lap. What I do now is I have a few folks that I just call. And then I have a couple other folks that I call and we go for, like, go for a ride and drive and talk. Because I know this. I know that I can't do this alone. I know you cannot do this alone. But oftentimes we try to do it alone. And I want to encourage you right now. If you're going through a difficult time, if you're struggling, if there's adversity that's come your way, we certainly know that God's word is there and you want people around you that are going to help encourage you in the word of God. You also want good people around you that will come alongside of you and walk with you through whatever it is you're going through. That you, that you don't hold back. Uh, you know, we can really access people easily today. It is not real hard to do that. I've said this once. I'll say it again. There are times I just pick up my phone and I send a, a text out, pray for me now. That's all I say. People do the same with me. They send me a note and say, pray for me now. And I respond back and say, I'm praying for you right now. When we stand together in the face of adversity, there's such strength that comes. And I think you know this. Oftentimes, that breath, it feels like it's taken away because of adversity. It feels like, oh, you just feel like all the the strength just is sapped out of your very being. You need people around you that not only walk with you, but they hope for things you're having a hard time hoping for whether it's a loved one, whether it's a circumstance, whatever it is, sometimes it feels hopeless. That's kind of the journey we're on. But to have people around you who will hope with you and hope for you, it's an incredible encouragement. Look for people like that. Let me encourage you to do that. Here's some key thoughts. The relational standard of God's word is not friendship, but it's family. I don't know if you've ever really noticed that or zeroed in on it. The relational standard in God's word isn't necessarily friendship. Friendship is good, but it's more along the lines of family. Listen, we are called to have some grit, but we'll never be strong alone. Never be strong alone. Living out God's word produces transforming love and a lasting loyalty and the love the, 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 the church had for one another in Thessalonica, the, the love that we can have for one another here can be unmistakable in times of great adversity. They're going to know us by our love. And so take time and pray for others. I think of the day that we live and the tragedies that we face. 
that we will come together and we'll pray. We'll lean on one another and just ask God for that strength that we need, that hope that we need. And this is why I think this message is so timely because I think it's a message out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that the church really needs to hear today. Hey, get some grit, folks. Be prepared because things can get tough. Be prepared. I'm going to ask when I, as I finish today that you would pray um, Pray for us Thursday. We're hosting about 60 to 70 pastors and leaders here. Um, it's our annual pastors conversation. And I just would just, I would just value your prayers. I just value uh, your intercession for this, t- the, the, this group that's meeting on, on Thursday here. We'll be here all day. And uh, we're going to deal with the issue of shame and how shame affects us when we lead and as we lead. And so I I want you to just be in prayer. If you would, if you're so kind to do that, it'd be wonderful. Pray for Thursday, all day Thursday. Just pray for the group of pastors and leaders that will be gathering here in this place. And that when they leave, they'll be refreshed and encouraged in Jesus Christ. We're really wanting to do what 1 Thessalonians tells us to do. That's what we're doing right here in this place. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I want to thank you today for your amazing grace in our life. And that... um, Adversity does come. And give us the strength that we need. Give us the people that we need that would surround us and help us through a difficult time. Lord, we just pray over this church, this community, this nation, uh, that your name, Lord Jesus, your great name, would bring victory to our lives. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Amen. Would you do Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.